Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to a man who is no stranger to a backpack. Stefan Orth is an award-winning travel writer and the best-selling author of Couchsurfing in Iran, a place where couchsurfing is done in secret. New York Times Books had it on its summer reading list. Stefan spent two months there living in people's homes and getting to know the country from a different side than you might hear about in the news or that you'd get if all you're doing is staying in hotels. Here's his story. I just finished reading your book not too long ago of your encounters of couchsurfing in Iran. What drew you to Iran in the first place? It was actually talking to lots of travelers. I'm, I've been working as a travel editor for nine years uh, for a big news website in Germany. And I was always talking a lot to travelers and getting interesting news about interesting destinations. But Iran was interesting because everyone who had been there said something about some, some incredible, surprising experiences with the hospitality. They told about a country that's completely different from what you expect from the media story. So I, guess I had it on my list for a long time. And in 2013, I went there for the first time, finally. And I fell in love myself with this country, so I came back one year later to do this book. So the plan is... 62 days, and you're going to spend your entire time couchsurfing, staying with people. Now, how would you describe couchsurfing to someone who doesn't quite have a grasp or hasn't done it before? Well, it's an international website, couchsurfing.com, where people all around the world offer free accommodation for travelers. And the idea is that you offer it yourself so you can use it when you're traveling as well. Not everyone not everybody does both but that's the basic idea and you can also use it just to meet local people uh, you don't have to stay with them at their place but that is uh, the main concept of it and it's a wonderful idea to to really get to know the everyday life of a country you're not as isolated as you would be if you stay in a hotel you're just in the middle of everyday life People take you to student parties, to their favorite restaurants. Um, and I've been using it like on almost every trip for the last 12 or 13 years. I'm totally addicted. And I think it's an absolutely great way to get to know a country. So the idea being that you're going to get to know a place a little bit differently, you could say better too, by staying with the people who live there rather than going to a hotel or a bed and breakfast or uh, Airbnb. Definitely. And uh, I, I had a very interesting talk to a kind of famous Russian traveler once uh, who said that uh, you should think about how, how much percent of your travels you spend with people who are paid to be friendly to you, like hmm. who are working in the tourism industry in some way and they are just paid to, to do what they do for you. And if you think about that and try to reduce this number, it's probably a, a pretty good idea to get a more authentic trip. <laughs> I love that. So I've never been couch surfing before myself, but I have done the equivalent. I've used warm showers before. I think you're familiar with warm showers yeah. as well. Um, so I know what it's like to you know, be hosted by somebody and somebody who you don't necessarily know beforehand. What is your best couch surfing story from your time in Iran? 
Oh, that's actually really hard to say because there were uh, so many interesting uh, hosts. They were very diverse, very different people. Um, maybe one guy is pretty special. He was the oldest host I had. He was uh, old, 54, I think. Mm -hmm. And a really outgoing guy in the north of Iran, and uh, he he took me to lots of places. He he made me feel like his son. Took me to a wedding the second day I was there, and uh, but also kind of treated me like a social experiment the whole time. <laughs> like he was uh, sending me anywhere. Like to, I had to talk to people, and like he said, okay, talk to this woman, ask her a question, and he would stand behind and. And watch the situation and just see how people react to me to this weird foreigner so this was a quite <laughs> interesting setup the whole time uh, but and it was definitely not a relaxing kind of holiday but uh, uh, it, we've become great friends and it's it was a very uh, nice guy but this <laughs> is just one of them like the hospitality of Iranian people is really uh, I haven't seen something like that in, in other places in the mm. world, I have to say. So what are the lengths that people are going to to make themselves, uh, to make you comfortable? What kind of hospitality are you seeing? Well, well, you can always, you, you just feel like an honorary guest the whole time. Like, uh, for example, I had one couch surfer, uh, she just, she had two other guests and she met me also and... Uh, she she took a day off from work. Well, she didn't take a day off. She actually uh, said she was sick at <laughs> work just to spend the whole day with and show us the, the desert, which was near the city. It was the Kaluts Desert region near Kerman, in this case. A really amazing area. And uh, yeah, so she told her boss she's sick just to be able to show it to us. And herself, she had seen it like 20 times before. It was not nothing special to add to her so it was just uh, like her hospitality her idea to show this to us there's a, a fear involved in going to iran as a foreigner and dealing with customs i think especially perhaps as a journalist somebody who you yeah. know they ask you what your occupation is you're trying to come up with reasons why not to say what you are so you went with website editor instead Mm -hmm. Tell me about that, what you faced in going there and the environment that you sensed and, and felt and had to deal with. Yeah, I, I would say actually as a regular tourist, you don't have too much to fear in Iran. It's a very safe country and you, you don't get a lot of trouble with the authorities if you don't do anything illegal. Uh, but of course, being a journalist is a kind of issue that uh, scared me a lot of times. <laughs> For example, I had to extend my visa twice when I was there uh, and uh, go to some offices for that and uh, talk to the people and tell them why I'm traveling there and it would be very easy to google my name and find out after two minutes that I work as a journalist and I was working for Der Spiegel, uh, mm -hmm. the website of Der Spiegel, which is uh, pretty well known as a quite critical kind of uh, media also. So this was always very scary and I was surprised that nobody found out in, during the time I was uh, there 
that I was a journalist. Later on, actually, when the book was published, there were some very critical articles on, on blogs in Iran, also in Farsi language, mm-hmm. uh, who... Uh, who showed that they were not, uh, they saw this as a kind of scandal book, actually. So what was the plan for you as far as how long you'd stay in each place and where you'd go when you had it in mind? I mean, you loved Iran the first time around and you decided to go back again. Well, I I just knew I can stay for three weeks with the visa back then. And I was hoping I can extend it. And in the end, it turned out to be two months that was possible. So I didn't really have, I hadn't booked my flight back when I arrived. And I just wanted to like see as much of the country as possible, like do a big tour, see many different areas and uh, spend a lot of time with the people follow the ideas of the local people so my kind of plan was to always stick to the things that my hosts would be planning never say no to any idea which can kind of uh, stupid in some situations probably (laughs) but it also leads to the most interesting adventures i guess yeah how did that go for you to say yes to the invitations that came your way yeah, that went really great because, uh, as I said, I was I went to a wedding there. I went to a, a, sec- a secret meeting of the local sadomasochistic scene of Tehran, <laughs> which was uh, quite interesting. I mean, it was just a meeting in the park where people talk about uh, what they are, what they do, talk, give give each other some kind of advice and stuff. But still, it was a very illegal thing and. I, I met a guy who who's making 100 liters of wine, uh, 1,000 liters of wine every year, which is also completely illegal, of course. Right. Uh, so uh, I got into a lot of situations uh, where I was surprised what kind of things happen secretly as soon as the door is closed, as soon as nobody's watching. People have much more freedoms than you would expect from just seeing the the public picture of Iran. Tell me a bit more about that, perhaps. I mean, you write about there being two Irans that you come to see coexisting, the one that is out in the public and then the one that people can have behind closed doors in the security of their homes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe first of all, I have to say that people who are part of couch surfing, they are probably the more liberal, the more modern people in their country. They speak pretty good English. They might be interested in in Western society, in Western countries. Right. So it's a kind of special group, probably. It's not like an overview of all of Iranians I can talk about. But most of them really had this two or three lives, like a public and a private life. In public, it's a kind of masquerade. You you follow the rules of the Islamic Republic. Um, but as soon as the door is closed, people start uh, talking how much they dislike Islam. Probably they, are, they have parties, they drink alcohol. Um, women uh, don't wear the veil anymore, obviously. There are parties. So really everything you can imagine that young people do in western countries it also happens in iran but just it's a secret and it's sometimes also kind of dangerous because if you get caught uh, there might be severe consequences what's the case when saying yes turned into the most haywire or ridiculous of circumstances for you 
Oh, um, uh, there's actually one kind of very negative example which I, I didn't use in the book because it happened on my first trip to Iran, mm -hmm. um, which is not a part of the book. And there, there was the friend of my couchsurfing host. Uh, we were at a kind of party. People were playing music. They had a kind of jam session there. And and one of my host's friends said, "Hey, let's let's have uh, dinner somewhere. I'll take you to a kebab place uh, in the city." And uh, he drove me there. And when we arrived, he ordered the food. And that moment, he started drinking some very strong alcohol i think it was something like pure pure ethanol or something mm. uh, he had this bottle in his car and he started uh, drinking that and finishing it very quickly he offered it to me too but i refused and like after three minutes he i think he was extremely drunk um, we got our food and then drove drove away i should have left the car of course but he was driving like crazy and had a car accident he hit a taxi driver from behind then he didn't stop he just drove away very quickly like with with 80 miles per hour he was speeding through the city uh, his car was a bit broken you could hear that but still he was speeding like crazy and <laughs> oh, man. Then, then the taxi driver followed him and kind of stopped him uh, blocked his uh, car so, so stopped and that they both went out and started uh, beating each other no up so way. this situation <laughs> i thought okay i should and this <laughs> in this moment i i walked away and uh, because they were busy with each other <laughs> i just walked yeah. away i didn't know what to do i also also they didn't speak a word of english yeah and uh, at this moment, when I was there alone on the street later and hoping to find a taxi somewhere back, uh, I really thought to myself, okay, saying yes to anything is not always a very <laughs> smart idea. Uh, you didn't just start scribbling in a notebook right away and trying to jot down the play-by-play the -play of the fight. Oh, well, I, 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 of course, my brain is working like that, that I really <laughs> start looking at the details in situations like that. And I try to remember everything. Of course, at this, in the moment, I, I wouldn't take out the notebook <laughs> because I was busy screaming to the driver to go slower and to stop. And so, yeah. so this was really not the moment to do it. But definitely my, my senses are very... Uh, like, yeah, very active in that moment. I try to remember everything because that that's the weird thing about my job. Uh, whenever something goes really wrong or something becomes a bit scary, I know this. these are the best stories later mm. to write down. And this is what the reader is interesting in, interested in. This is a kind of suspense uh, I can create so so I need to know all the details uh, hmm. so this can be a very kind of very schizophrenic uh, situation for me when something like this happens the one quote from your book about couch surfing in Iran that stuck out to you the most is this one here there are no bad places if the reason you're traveling is to meet people can you tell me more about that yeah, this, this was a sentence actually one of my hosts said uh, first and it was a 20-year-old guy who was just very bright and smart <laughs> and he said this wonderfully philosophic sentence to me when I was uh, telling him about my, my the next city I wanted uh, to go to and I told him that uh, it was a town called Achwas uh, which in the Lonely Planet guide is described as some 
kind of really horrible place not visiting at all mm. and this host uh, re <laughs> replied to me with this sentence and i just realized damn this 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 totally fits uh, for my uh, whole iran trip because of course this country has a horrible reputation uh, of course uh, there are some issues uh, about this uh, religious leaders and about this government and about freedom of the people uh, uh, like uh, it's it's not an easy place to travel to but then on the human level if you just meet the everyday people if you take part in everyday life it's something so different and it it also uh, shows me that uh, like it's a very simple truth, but human beings are just very similar all around the world. They have the same problems, uh, the same things to deal with in, in everyday life about about family and relationships and, and all this everyday stuff. And I think it's very good to realize uh, how, how similar we all are, especially if you go to a country where there are conflicts and mm. I mean, it's possible that there will be a war uh, between Western powers and Iran in the next years. So this is something that, uh, yeah, that, that seems so hard to imagine for me after I saw this, this great culture and those mm -hmm. great people. Mm -hmm. What were the sorts of things that you were told to do or the rules that you were maybe suggested to follow to make things easier for you before you went to Iran? This, the sorts of things that people might have warned you about or, or told you, you know, whether they're well-intentioned or well-informed or not, um, you know, do this or, or don't do that. Oh, well, but I, yeah, I got a lot of advice, of course, and some friends were a bit scared uh, about me, what I'm doing there. One guy said I shouldn't look any woman into the eyes uh, because that might get me into huge trouble. When I was there, I found out that some women are actually very outgoing and uh, even like flirting on the street. So it, it's, it's very different from mm. from what you would expect. And I had also an Iranian friend who left his country more than 30 years ago, I think. And uh, he also said he could not understand what I'm doing there. What do I want in, in this country? He was so happy that he could escape uh, long ago and uh, hated the government there so much that he would never want to... Uh, go back so so he just couldn't understand what what I'm supposed to do in this country but later he, he became a big fan of the book and recommended it all to all his friends so this was an interesting change and sometimes I have this that, that even Iranians uh, who haven't been to their country for a while that they tell me that it's kind of surprising and interesting what what I saw there that that they were surprised themselves uh, how some things mm. have changed. What surprised you when you went there? The things that immediately jumped out for one reason or another? Well, I think the first thing was that uh, not as many people are very religious as I thought. Like on my first trip when I came there, I had the pictures in mind that you normally get from Iran. And uh, I read the statistics where it said that officially 99% uh, believe in Islam uh, in this country. And uh, when I came there, I was surprised that uh, it's 
definitely far less if you talk to the people many are frustrated with religion and uh, don't don't really believe and also also in public you don't see so many uh, for example you don't see so many men wearing the traditional islamic dress with mm -hmm. the i think is it turban in english also the word i'm not sure yeah 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 um, like the, the the kind of mullah outfit you don't see it every every day and everywhere it's it's far less common than you would expect so uh this was probably uh, the biggest surprise in the beginning compared to what i was expecting hmm. what about the different habits or traditions that you found the things that you enjoyed the most what became your your favorite traditions or habits within the country that you saw well, definitely the, the the friendliness of the people was what made me kind of fall in love with this country because uh, I've traveled to more than 70 countries and nowhere else I have experienced such a kind of hospitality and also such an interest or such a, how should I say it? It was a, the, the conversations are somehow different uh, than in other countries. Uh, I, I met lots of very well-educated people who had lots of questions about about uh, Western culture and about how we see Iran from the outside. And somehow the the discussions you have um, are often more intellectual and more more interesting than in, in other countries. And uh, people are also very well informed about uh, the the world and about uh, western countries and uh, but still had lots of questions and wanted to hear something firsthand because they they don't trust their own media a lot they some some of course read the international media too so so it was definitely a different kind of conversations sometimes even on the street like you would expect some small talk and some guy walks up to me and starts like talking about some uh, Goethe uh, quotes, like uh, mm -hmm. some some poetry of this uh, German poet Goethe, uh, asking lots of questions about Western politics. So, so this was quite different and interesting. Like what a, you, you can always feel that this is a very well-educated kind of uh, country. Give me a bit of backstory for yourself, how you came to fall in love with travel in the first place. What uh, kick-started your entire career and, and journey in terms of being fascinated by people and places? Well, I start. I did a master's in journalism in Australia like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And in during that time in the semester holidays, I did a lot of traveling uh, I went to Fiji and New Zealand and the Cook Islands and uh, did some couch surfing there as well. I, as well, I, I wrote some travel stories, and this was, I think, uh, I really started to to love traveling so much. It was kind of late. I was 25. I didn't do the backpacking stuff when I was 20 so much. Back then, I wanted to be a rock star and play in the band. <laughs> so at age 25, I really started this. Uh, traveling addiction and I did a lot of couch surfing also met so many interesting people around the world and uh, after that really every free moment if I had three or four days I would go somewhere if I had more than I would go to a different country I got this 
job as a travel editor also for the news website of Der Spiegel in Germany. So my whole life suddenly was all about uh, travel topics and mm -hmm. it hasn't changed until today. Two years ago, I quit my job uh, for this news website and now I'm a freelancer and I just do travel books, which is a dream job to me, <laughs> I would <laughs> say. Tell me a bit about beforehand, before going to Australia. Was there travel in your family? Oh, my, my family would also travel a lot, but probably a different style than what I do now. So most, like, yeah, every holiday we, we, we would go somewhere, but mostly to the neighboring countries, like to Italy or France, to see some medieval places or some archaeological sites or lots of, there was always lots of culture <laughs> on those trips. Uh, so it's, and it was not so much about meeting the local people. Of course, this is not the, probably this is the more normal style of traveling in this uh, generation. Uh, so it, yeah, traveling was always a topic and it was always important for everyone, for many people in my family. But I think just a bit later, I developed my own style where I realized I'm not going for tourist attractions. I'm going to meet people and learn something from the local culture. Now that you are a freelancer and a travel writer writing books, I mean, travel writing and, and especially with the way that the internet is nowadays there are so many people with travel blogs i imagine it could be hard to stand out in that environment how do you carve a place for your voice as a travel writer in what can be a challenging way to make a living well yeah actually i'm kind of old-fashioned because i don't have a blog i have a website but i'm not blogging every week about something and uh, I, f I find it hard when I focus on, on a book project to like at the same time uh, still publish some blog articles. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, as I said, I'm old fashioned. Maybe, maybe I, <laughs> I want to keep the material first and uh, have it out later as this whole book and uh, surprise the readers with some of the stories in there. And well, I don't know, I'm kind of lucky because this uh, Iran book was a big success in, in Germany. And uh, so after that, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I can do more and more books and uh, get better contracts from the publishers. And my name is known a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. So so that way I, I can keep doing what I'm doing, even without uh, doing a, a blog, what would be kind of very obvious. Of course, I do something on Instagram and Facebook, but I'm not so active on social media as a lot of my colleagues. Yeah. Why do you think people took to it in Germany the way that they have? Well, it was definitely a perfect timing also. It came out in 2015 in Germany, and this was a, a time when just Iran became more and more interesting as a tourist destination. A word got around that this is a place where you can actually travel and uh, where it's actually very interesting to go to. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a time where there was a little hype around this uh, country and the tourism numbers uh, 
are still growing every year. So uh, it was just the perfect moment to, to have this book out. And of course, then it's a lot about secrets and illegal things and about some kind of drama and dangers. So, of course, this also helps to uh, separate it from, from other travel books. And uh, I think it was probably this this kind of combination that, that helped a lot uh, to have this kind of impact. How many foreign tourists did you see during your time there? Oh, good question. Of course, I didn't count, but it wasn't <laughs> too many. It, it, it was just in certain places. Of course, there yeah. are places like uh, Shiraz, uh, Yazd, and uh, Isfahan, uh, where there are lots of tourists and if you go to the famous places there of course you see the groups and i guess if you go this year it would be many many more people in those places again and the tourism industry has developed a lot so i i guess i I saw a few hundred tourists, but but on more than half of my trip, I didn't see anybody else yeah. because I was just like sharing the local life and uh, I was in places or in areas of the town where no tourists would, would ever go. Mm -hmm. You mentioned already the generosity of the people that you experienced. It's funny, the one part of your book that I remember, you described the process of kind of accepting a gift from somebody or, or turning down a gift from somebody <laughs> in that you have to repeat it like three times before finally they'll stop offering you these incredible things, whether it's the shirt off their backs or a free taxi yeah. ride or whatever the case is. Tell me a bit more about those interactions, the sorts of things that people would offer to you. Yeah, yeah, this is a very important thing if you travel to Iran to know this local kind of taruf protocol of, of politeness, uh, where it's really the idea that you decline two or three times before you say yes to any kind of offer. And uh, yeah, for example, I, I had a host who... Uh, who had this really amazing Persian carpet in his living room. It was like three by four meters. I'm sure it's like $10,000 worth or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I told him how how much I like this carpet. So then just after that, he said, oh, that's great. I'm so happy. I will give it to you as a present. <laughs> <laughs> so if if I had started like rolling this carpet up and taking uh, walking out of the house house with it, I think it would have very quickly changed my uh, <laughs> my friendship with <laughs> right. this guy because this would have been an absolutely an absolute no go to to just accept this offer. It was just uh, a kind of politeness, and uh, I was supposed to say no to it, and then then uh, both sides have done their part in this kind of polite uh, conversation so yeah this uh, this is something that happens a lot if someone offers you a tea you can actually just accept i think and especially from foreigners they don't expect that you are very much that that you know those those rules mm -hmm. uh, pretty well well one th one funny thing i heard is that this actually also applied to marriage proposals so oh really <laughs> if the woman says no the first time it might be smart to not give up too quickly <laughs> and just try a little harder and uh, yeah some people told me for marriage proposals it's the same rule uh 
It reminds me, in your case, of traveling there. You had your own marriage of sorts for a period of days for the sake of traveling. Yeah. Can you tell me about what you did and why you did it? Yeah, a very good friend of mine who is also a photographer uh, and who is half Iranian, uh, she, she joined me for 10 days of this trip and we traveled together. Um, and we on this part of the trip, we also wanted to stay in hotels. So, But if a man and a woman travel together in Iran, tell everyone you are married, especially if you want a hotel room together, for example, they... In many places, they wouldn't give it uh, to you if you're not married. So we just decided, okay, for those 10 days, we <laughs> we have this kind of fake marriage. We even got some rings at the local bazaar for $1 each. And uh, yeah, we're telling everyone this kind of marriage story. And also, if you talk to some local people who are kind of traditional or conservative, it's... Uh, it's better if a man and a woman travel together if you tell them you're a married couple it's it makes the situation easier because otherwise they could be a bit shocked but this only is this is really only if you deal with very conservative uh, people there hmm. what was your most peaceful moment traveling through iran oh well um one very special moment was just sitting on the roof in the city of uh, Yazd uh, in the evening and just just watching uh, the city fall asleep from from the top. This is, was a kind of very special moment. You, you like you hear like some of the the clerics sing from the local mosques and the sun is going down at the horizon. I saw some really amazing mountains and then this kind of old town which which really still has the look of a typical desert oasis from uh, from arabian nights somehow mm -hmm. so, uh, so it was definitely a very amazing moment just sitting there for two hours it felt like a break from everything and sitting on 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 top of this uh, this city so this this would want, be one moment that comes to my mind what are the stories that interest you most as you're traveling and you're writing and documenting what you're experiencing? What are the kinds of things that that you find make for good stories? Mm, that's hard to say because I, I often just react to uh, what happens in a situation. Or if somebody tells me something that sounds interesting, I, I would always follow up and follow my, my journalistic instinct to ask a lot of questions. And mm -hmm. all the time I ask lots of questions. Um, sometimes, of course, before I go somewhere, I would look into the couch surfing profile of, of somebody uh, to, to see if they have some special interest or some unusual job probably or uh, a hobby that might be interesting um, to talk about. Uh, so I try to not have too many very similar people from a very similar path of life. Mm -hmm. If I visited five graphic designers who are all 30 years old uh, doing similar jobs uh, one after another, I think this, this could be kind of boring. So I'm just looking for a variety of human stories and and i think uh, lots of stories can be interesting either uh, 
a story that shows us how similar people are to ourselves or some story that's completely different from from what uh, what we explored uh, what, what we have in in our own countries so um it's it's hard to say i am looking for a mix of all kinds of human stories that that show the whole <laughs> whole world of human life and human interactions so it's nothing very specific right. but a variety of stories in the end i hope to get a picture of the whole country by that like just by talking to 20 or 30 different people and like really getting to know them as well as possible in those two or three days i have with them that i hope in the end i get a pretty good picture to tell the readers what's going on in this country how how people are feeling what's the psychology in this country is that hard to say goodbye to people after being there for you know two three days and, and knowing that you're going to be moving on Oh, yeah. In lots of cases, it is actually. And uh, this is a very frustrating part of this uh, kind of work sometimes, because uh, I always know I have to move on. And I, I, there, I, I meet some really amazing people where I would just love to stay longer. Sometimes I extend by one or two days, but I always know I have to move on. I need I cannot uh, have a book about just two places and that's it. <laughs> so uh, it's often the feeling of having like half of a friendship already, but it's uh, uh, it would be very nice to spend more time together. Mm. And sometimes it's just okay to move on, of course, too. Like you don't click with everybody and um, it's, it's always uh, a big mix of different characters I would meet on the trip. You wrote another book about couchsurfing through Russia, kind of similar circumstances, going place to place, yeah. staying with hosts there too. What was that experience like? What were the sorts of things that you remember most about that trip? Oh, the, again, there were many, so many different hosts and different places, so it's, it's hard, really hard uh, to pick one, but something... I found very interesting in Russia was the where unusual places you can go to. For example, I uh, stayed in the far east of Russia in a place called Myrny, which is a town which was only built like 60 years ago because they found a huge uh, diamond mine in mm -hmm. the ground. So they, they, they got the diamonds from the ground, but it's, it's like an open pit uh, until it's, it's like a hole in the ground, 500 meters deep and more than one kilometer in diameter, like the most ugly site you can imagine, just this incredibly big hole in the ground next to a city there so to see something like this and now they kind of show it like a tourist attraction they have a, like a viewing platform on top of it uh, and uh, and and yeah to, to get to know people in a town like this it was very isolated the next town is like 700 kilometers away and Uh, it's the winters there are horrible and, and just to get an uh, kind of insight into a place like that by talking to the three local people who spoke English in the whole town actually in that case um, was that was just an amazing experience now in both Russia and Durant's case are you getting by purely on English or 
Are you picking up any of the local languages, whether it's Farsi or, or Russian in either case? Or is it just mostly English that you're using? Uh, it's mostly English, but before the Russia trip, of, for example, I did a course, a language course to just have some basics. And for example, I could read the writing, the Cyrillic writing, which was very helpful uh, to just, uh, you, you can imagine what a shop uh, sign means or the, mm -hmm. you can read the place name. That was very helpful. Uh, and in, in Iran, I also picked up a few phrases of Farsi, but not not enough really to communicate the thing is that with couch surfing i have always uh, people who can speak english i can see from their profile before that they would yeah. be able to speak english and i'm always surprised how much is possible without being fluent in the local language if you have someone local with you like sometimes it my hosts would would be like my translators uh, mm -hmm. when when we travel around a little bit and uh, yeah if you're really interested and if you ask lots of questions I think you can learn much more than expected about a, a place even if you if you're not fluent in the language but of course it would always be better to to speak uh, the language well you're in China now uh, what brings you there and what are your plans while you're there Oh, well, um, I'm just traveling around uh, China right now and uh, looking for some stories to write, uh, exploring different places. Uh, I had some great trips in the mountains here just recently and uh, found out that you can actually escape the big cities and the, the Chinese mass tourism. And uh, yeah, so I really like traveling around China and... I've been here for a few weeks now. Hmm. Uh, Stefan, any final takeaways from you about things that you've learned from traveling or things that you want to uh, leave with somebody listening to this conversation? Well, I think it's kind of repeating myself, but I, I, I think that uh, if you travel to, to meet the people and to really take part in everyday life, this, this is... Uh, often a more interesting learning experience than if you just go for attractions. I think people are the biggest attractions of their countries and it doesn't make sense to, to tick a list and to do the top 10 of any place you go to. I prefer to have a coffee with some students in Paris than going to the Eiffel Tower. So I think mm. it's a the human experience, we, we should value that much more. I think this is this is what traveling should really be about. Thanks very much for your time, Stefan, uh, taking the time all the way around the world. Yeah, it's fun to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to know more about Stefan, his book is out in English now through Greystone Books. If you enjoyed the show, you can do me a favor and hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and most of all, share it with someone else you think might enjoy it. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle, off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. <laughs>